بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد أوكي كويك ريكاب حياء شاينس مودستي is of two types who can mention what those two types are Yahya number one that type of Haya that type of shyness that is already installed within you you're just born like that number two is the one that you can gain the one that you can acquire how can you acquire it how can you acquire the characteristic of shyness how do you attain this beautiful trait of being modest and shy what are the methods of attaining it Yahya number one knowing Allah yeah so number one knowing Allah knowing his signs knowing Allah's names his attributes his actions Increasing your knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What else? Something else by which a person can attain al hayat. Something to do with blessings. Appreciating his blessings. So what would you do? What are the steps via which you attain hayat as far as appreciating the blessings of Allah is concerned? So you first start to think about the blessings that Allah has granted you. You think and you enumerate, you count the blessings that Allah has granted you. And then, and then you realize, you realize what? You, reala you realize how deficient you are in thanking and paying gratitude to Allah for each of those individual blessings as a result of that you become shy in front of Allah now. as a result of that you become shy in front of the one that has granted you so many blessings such blessings that you are not able to repay him for right al-hadith al-wahid wal-ishroon hadith number 21 an Abi Amr waqila Abi Amrah Sufyan ibn Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu قال قلت يا رسول الله قل لي في الإسلام قولا لا أسأل عنه أحدا غيرك قال قل آمنت بالله ثم استقم رواه مسلم This here is a hadith of Abi Amr and it is also said Abi Amrah Sufyan ibn Abdullah he said to the Prophet والسلام, on an occasion, he said to him, O Messenger of Allah, say a single statement concerning Islam about which I don't have to ask anyone after you. Meaning, give me a comprehensive statement concerning Islam, observing Islam, following Islam such a so comprehensive that I don't have to ask about it after you I don't have to ask anybody else after you so the Prophet said 
say, I believe in Allah, and then remain steadfast. The Prophet said, say, I believe in Allah, I have believed in Allah, and then remain steadfast. So this here, this hadith, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad's explanation to it is quite brief, as is all of his explanations to all the ahadith, uh, because the point of this explanation of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad is to be brief, to cover the essential points. And it consists of three parts. In part number one, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad is just highlighting how keen the companions were in gaining understanding of the deen. Look at this companion. Look at how keen he was. Look at his question. By way of his question, you realize how keen he was in understanding the deen. How keen he was in attaining goodness. What did he say to the Prophet ﷺ? Give me a comprehensive statement. An all-inclusive statement. A statement about Islam such that I don't have to ask anybody about it after you. And the scholars they mention as well, sometimes you can tell about the keenness of a person and how much he really wants what he's asking for just by analyzing his question. Look at his companion here. He's saying, Tell me about something, tell him, give me a comprehensive. Comprehensive jami' a comprehensive statement about Islam after which I don't have to ask any, anybody about it. Sometimes a person asks a question and you can see how keen he is. You can tell how keen she is. You can detect the sincerity of the person. A person comes up to you and he says, Brother, tell me, what do I need to do in order to get into the Islamic University in al Madina?" How many times can I apply? So he's not just saying, like somebody else might say, uh, Ya Akhi, can you please sort it out for me? I want to get into the Jami'ah, I want to get into Medina University. Can you call up your contacts in Medina and just sort it out for me? By that question, you can see the lack of hirs, the lack of keenness that that person has in terms of getting into the Islamic University in Medina. For example, Ya Akhi, sort it out, get it sorted for me. Contact one of your contacts in Medina and get it sorted for me. Somebody else comes and he says, Ya Akhi, what do I need to do? Just tell me what certificates I need, what documents I need. Let me know how many times I can apply. I'm going to apply this year. I've booked my ticket for Umrah. I'm going to have my interview there. How many times? You can tell by his question and how he's questioning how keen he is. And this is what Sheikh Abdul Masjid Abad is highlighting here. The keenness of the companions in learning and understanding their deen. And therefore, we should follow suit. We should be like the companions, learning about our deen and being sincere in that regard. Number two, part number two, again very brief. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad here, he is mentioning the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was given concise yet comprehensive speech. Concise yet comprehensive speech. He was able to utter statements that were, that were small in number. But the meaning that those statements carried 
was great, was comprehensive. So for example, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, say, I believe in Allah. In this statement, the Prophet said, in this hadith, the Prophet said, say, I have believed in Allah, and then remain upright. This is now covering the whole of the deen. This statement here, that consists of, قُلْ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ ثُمَّ اسْتَقِمْ يعني Five words. But it is actually covering the whole of the deen. The Prophet said, say, I believe in Allah. If you believe in Allah, we know that everything else that you believe in is a far' is a subsidiary branch from the asl, from the foundation, which is belief in, belief in Allah. Belief in Allah, that's the foundation. Belief in the angels, it is a far' It is a branch from the asl, a branch from the foundation, a branch from the belief in Allah. Belief in the books, belief in the prophets, and so on and so forth. All of that branches forth from the asl, from the foundation, from the base, which is belief in Allah. So if there is iman in Allah, then everything else follows on after that. Everything else is inclusive within that. And likewise we know that when the term Islam and Iman are mentioned in an isolated manner by themselves, then they both indicate each other. Islam, when it's mentioned by itself, then it implies Islam, and it implies Iman. When Iman is mentioned by itself, then it implies Iman, and it implies Islam. When they are mentioned together in one single context, as we've covered before in the Hadith of Jibreel, if Islam and Iman are mentioned together in a single context, then Islam is in sole reference to the external actions. And Iman is in sole reference to the internal actions, the aqeedah, the belief. But when they are mentioned by themselves, Iman is mentioned by itself, without the mentioning of Islam, like in this particular hadith, then it, then it is in reference to both matters. Internal actions, يعني your aqeedah, and external actions, يعني your, your Islam, your actions. So now, this is a comprehensive statement of the Messenger that covers the whole of the religion. He said, say, I believe in Allah. Belief in Allah, that's the foundation of belief in everything. Iman here has been mentioned without the mentioning of Islam, and therefore it covers external and internal actions. And then the Messenger, he said, and then be steadfast. Okay, so what does this mean? There are several ayat in the Quran where Allah is telling us to be steadfast. Belief and then steadfast. Have faith and then steadfast. What does this steadfastness refer to? Be firm. Give me some more. Elaborate upon that. Are you raising your hand there? No. Just tickling your chin, huh? Okay, no problem. Be upon the Sirat al-Mustaqim. Allah says, be firm upon it, be steadfast upon it. What does that mean though? 
What does it mean to be steadfast? Consistent. There you go, Sheikh Abbas. To be consistent. You've believed. You've become Muslim. You've started to become observant of your deen. You've started to become religious. Be consistent now. Continue like that until when? Until? Until death. Until death. And this you find, this meaning you find in that ayah, that ayah that is mentioned in the Khutbat al Haja. Ya yuhaladina amanu ittakullah haqqa tuqatihi wala tamutunna illa wantu muslimun. O you who believe, have taqwa of Allah as in how he deserves to, how, to, 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 to be fed. And do not, this is a shahid, and do not die except as Muslims. Have taqwa and allow that to continue up until you, up until you die. Another ayah. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا يَتَنَزَّلُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ أَلَّا تَخَافُوا وَلَا تَحْسَنُوا وَابْشِرُوا بِالْجَنَّةِ الَّتِي كُنْتُمْ تُوَعَدُونَ Indeed those who say, indeed those who say, our Lord is Allah. Here's a shahid. Then they have istiqama, then they are firm. The angel shall come down to them and the angel shall say to them, Do not fear, nor grieve, and have glad tidings of the paradise that you were promised. Meaning that when the person is dying, and when the person has died, the angels will now come to him. As a result of you having believed in Allah and pronounced your belief in Allah, verbally said that you believe in Allah, and then having had istiqama, then having had steadfastness, meaning having said that you believe in Allah, and then continued and continued in your implementation of that testimony. As a result of that, now the angels, they come down to you at your point of death, and they say, no fear is upon you, and neither should you grieve. The ulama, they say that this is in reference. No fear is upon you concerning that which is to come. Don't fear as far as your afterlife is to come. No fear upon you as far as your qabr is concerned. No fear upon you as far as your standing on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is concerned. No fear upon you as far as the crossing over the Sirat is concerned. The crossing over the bridge over the fire of hell is concerned. No fear upon you as far as hellfire is concerned. To whom is this said? This is said to those people who said, Amanna Billah, we have believed in Allah and therefore believed in everything else that belief in Allah necessitates. Acted upon it and we stuck to that up until death reached us. So to them the angels say, there is no fear upon you, meaning there is no fear upon you concerning the future. This is in reference to the future. Qabr, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Jahannam, no fear upon you. Wala tahzanu, and neither should you grieve. This is in reference to the past. There's going to be no more feeling of grief concerning whatever you've left behind in the dunya and concerning whatever you may have done in the dunya. So huzn, grief, when the angels, they say that to you, 
after you die, that you're not, there is no grief upon you. This is in reference to your past. Number two, fear. When the angels say, no fear upon you, this is in reference to your future now, to your qabr, to qiyamah, to jahannam, and so on and so forth, that you don't have to fear as far as those matters are concerned. Tamam. Part number three, which is the final part, and these, this is a summary of the benefits of the hadith. Number one, حرص الصحابة على السؤال عن أمور دينهم The keenness of the companions in asking about the affairs of their religion. The keenness of the companions about asking about their affairs of their religion. Keenness of the companions about asking about the affairs of their religion. Number two. حسن السؤال من سفيان بن عبد الله الدال على كمال عقله ورغبته في الوصية الجامعة. The excellent form of questioning from this companion. The excellent form of questioning from سفيان بن عبد الله that indicated the perfection of his of his intellect. That indicated the perfection of his intellect. And the ardent desire that he had in attaining a comprehensive piece of advice. He wanted a full, wholesome piece of advice. A piece of advice that will cover everything that he needs of the deed. The fact that he posed the question, worded it in such a manner, indicates the perfect type of intellect that he had and how keen and how ardent he was in uh, wanting to attain a comprehensive piece of advice. Number three. This hadith, in it, there is an, an indication of having Iman in Allah and Iman in what has come in the book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. In the hadith, the Prophet said, Say, Amantu Billah, say, I have had Iman in Allah, I have believed in Allah. That necessitates, Iman in Allah necessitates having belief in the Book of Allah, having belief in the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, having Iman in every single thing that follows on after that. So, number three, this hadith in it is a mentioning of Iman in Allah and Iman in everything that's come in the book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet And number four, in this hadith, a benefit that we have gained, a reminder that we have gained from this hadith, is mulazamatul istiqamah ala al-haq wal-huda hatta bulugh al-ajal. To stick to steadfastness upon the truth and guidance to stick to steadfastness upon the truth and guidance up until death until death in this hadith 
there is a reminder of sticking to steadfastness upon the truth and upon guidance until you die. This is very important. There are so many people who were once upon guidance, but then they took the path of misguidance and then they died upon misguidance. Al-A'mal bil-Khawatim. Al-A'mal bil-Khawatim. Actions, they are in relation, a person is judged based upon his final actions, what you die upon, your final state. So imagine, you embraced Islam, or you started to become religious, or maybe you were born in a mustaqim family anyhow, you were born in a upright family anyhow, you were born in a family of sunnah, you were raised upon sunnah, like the children here. But, and you, ra you were raised as a hafid, memorizing Quran, memorizing ahadith. You um, taught people, you admonished people, you gave da'wah and so on and so forth. You occupied yourself in religious matters. But then when it comes to the end part of your life, it could have been the case that you were good, righteous, through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s even, you reach your 80s. And a test comes, a test of life comes. A test where Allah tests your Iman, tests the truthfulness of your Iman. And you give in, you fail that test. You start to become weak in the deen. You start to become a sinner, an open sinner. That person now, what he lived, how he lived previously, it is not to say that all of that is lost in vain. All of those deeds are lost in vain, as long as he's Muslim. But the end result that he dies upon, if he dies upon bid'ah after having been upon sunnah, if he dies upon fisk and fujur, open sin, evil sin, then we fear for him. We are, we are fearful for him concerning what's going to happen to him in his afterlife. Why? The actions of a person, that are his final actions, that is what is given consideration. A person, he lives upon istiqama, upon uprightness, righteous, and then near the end of his life, he leaves the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not only does he deviate, leaves Islam. There are stories like this. People in the past who, at, who were people that may, may have been in the presence of the Messenger later on in life, a test came, an inevitable trial came. Trial of life afflicts everybody. And so he leaves the deen. There's a story of this man in Sahih Muslim. Somebody that used to be a Muslim left Islam and then when death came to him they buried him they buried him after he died after they buried him they came back the next morning and his body came back out onto the surface back out onto the land so they dug up for him again and they buried him a 
again. But the next day when morning arrived, his body back out, this person that was Muslim before. And then after that, left the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what Allah did to him after he died. So they had to just dispose of his body elsewhere. So the point is, is not just being upon guidance and attending lessons and studying and memorizing. That's part and parcel of it. But what, should, what a person should always have in mind is being mustaqeem, firm upon this, regardless of what test and trial comes heading his way. Firm upon this deen. I believe in Allah. I believe only he should be worshipped. Nobody should be prayed to besides him. No rescue and refuge should be sought from anyone besides him. Forgiveness should only be sought from him. My absolute unconditional love, my absolute unconditional hope, my absolute unconditional fear is only for him, nobody else. And a person should have this continuously, day in, day out, until what? Until death reaches him. We have stories of people from the Salaf, stories from people of the past, who stayed firm upon Islam, firm upon their deen, firm upon the Sunnah, firm upon defending the Sunnah of Muhammad Somebody comes and he tries to attack the Sunnah of the Messenger you defend it. And as an example of one of the Imams of the past, he was put to trial. In a time, in an era, in a land where the Batiniyyah, the extreme Shia, they were the ones that had authority and power. So they, en so they ended up <coughs> arresting this man. And they put him in prison. And they said, and then they debated him and debated him and what have you. But the point is, is that when the actual test and the trial came, it wasn't an easy test. It wasn't a easy test like, for example, um, a test that we might have in, in this land that we may live in. That we have a good job offer. There's a very good job that is on offer on the table for you. You can take the job, but shave off your beard. So we think, oh, the job, 50,000 pounds in, in the year, salary. I have to feed my kids at the end of the day. I have to earn a living. The beard, inshallah ta'ala, can grow it later on. So he shaves off his beard, for example, and so on and so forth. Now, this, this, this test here is relatively small in comparison to what this Imam, Imam Abu Bakr, Imam Abu Bakr and Nabulusi went through. What they did to him is that they brought him out into public for being a man of sunnah. They weren't even saying leave Islam, but because of his sunnah and him criticizing, speaking against the people of Bid'ah, they brought him out into public, whipped him, lashed him, beat him. And then they ordered a butcher to come. They ordered a butcher to come. Butcher, the one that butchers animals. And this butcher was not a Muslim. It wasn't somebody that identified himself as a Muslim, a non-Muslim butcher. Because what they were asking 
what they were asking to be done to this imam, 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 uh, imam was something that nobody said that they are capable of doing. So they called this non-Muslim butcher. But the non-Muslim butcher came and he started to peel the skin off Imam and Naburusi. From the crown of his head, started to peel his skin. Do you know what Imam and Naburusi was doing while they were peeling off his skin? Uh, he was reciting from the Kitab of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. كَانَ ذَلِكَ فِي الْكِتَابِ مَسْتُورًا كَانَ ذَلِكَ فِي الْكِتَابِ مَسْتُورًا That, this is an ayah from the Quran, that was already written in the book. Meaning it was something that Allah had already decreed. So somebody says to you, oh you, you Muslim, you uh, Bin Laden lover, even though we are active in, in condemning Bin Laden, active in speaking against and condemning and criticizing ISIS and their followers. <coughs> However, people in the streets, they don't recognize this. So he's in the, you're in the streets, <coughs> he comes over to you, you Bin Laden lover, he starts to beat you. It's nothing. It's nothing in comparison to what this Imam's going through. Peeling off his skin. Skin's being peeled off. While the skin is being peeled off, the Imam is reciting, Kana dhalika fil kitabi mastura. That was something that was already inscribed in the book. And he continued, continued to peel his skin until he reached his chest. And then even this non-Muslim butcher felt pity upon Imam al-Nabulusi. And so he got the dagger and he stuck it in his heart. And as a result of that, Imam al-Nabulusi passed away, rahimahullahu ta'ala. That is istiqama upon the deen until you die. That is remaining firm upon the deen until you die. When you have that in mind, that I'm prepared to sacrifice anything and everything, whether it's my career, whether it's my education, whether it's my profession, whether it's the locality that I live in, the locality that I live in, it's not conducive for my iman. I have to shift. Leaving sometimes your loved ones. Loved ones are forcing you to leave Islam. Loved ones are forcing you to leave the Sunnah. Sometimes a sacrifice has to be made. But when you have such, when you set the bar so high that regardless of what physical pain I have to be put through, I'm never going to leave the deen, then regardless of what happens to you now in life, after that, after that res resolve, nothing's going to affect you. Whether it's a physical threat, whether it's a financial threat, whether it's just verbal threats, regardless of what the threat is, you won't leave your deen, inshallah ta'ala, once you realize this. Tamam, the next hadith is the hadith al-thani wal-ishroon. How can you? We mentioned some of them in the khutbah, in the Eid khutbah. A dua, what else? Good companionship, what else? Sorry? Yeah, like, yeah, reading the biographies of the prophets. Reading the biographies of the prophets. When you read the biographies of the prophets, you read the biography of Yusuf alayhi salam, for example, then you realize 
sabr and the fruits of sabr. As a result of being sabr, there are, are going to be so many fruits that are born as a result of that. So you read the biography of Yusuf alayhi salam. You read the biography of uh, uh, Yunus alayhi salam. You read the biography of the prophets in general. You read the biography of our messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. I mentioned one biography of his. Does anybody remember the name of the biography? When the moon split. That's a, in the English language. In the English language, that's a nice little biography to get. Okay, because it's not too small, and it's not too voluminous. One volume. Excellent for children. Why? Because there are, you know, uh, comprehension check questions after each chapter. So you might read a chapter. And then you might not have fully digested the information in there. Read the questions at the end of the chapter. Ah, I think I missed a bit. Let me go back. So reading the biographies of the companion, reading the biographies of the prophets. Likewise, reading the biographies of the Sahaba. Likewise, righteous deeds. Righteous deeds give birth to more righteous deeds. If you perform a righteous deed, then that will result in other righteous deeds. And so on and so forth. So that's an independent that's an independent lecture anyhow. Perhaps we can do that at another time, inshallah ta'ala. Tamam, so we'll have a quick look at hadith number twenty-one and then after that we'll conclude for salah. Anabi Abdullah Jabir Abdullah al Ansari Radiallahu Ta'ala Anhuma Anna Rajulan Sa'ala Rasulallah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Fakal Araita Ida Salaitul Maktubat Wasum to Ramadan Wahlaltul Halal وحرمت الحرام ولم أزد على ذلك شيئا أدخل الجنة قال نعم رواه مسلم. In this hadith, the hadith of Abi Abdullah Jabir ibn Abdullah Ansari رضي الله تعالى عنهما. A man he asked the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام. He said, Do you see if I was to pray the obligatory prayers fast in Ramadan? Make tahleel of the halal, meaning consider the halal to be halal. And consider the haram to be haram. And I do not increase upon that in anything. Will I enter paradise? And the Prophet, he said, yes. So concerning this hadith, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad, the muhaddith of Al-Madina, he has split the explanation into five parts. Part number one is that it has been mentioned that this questioner, he was a Nu'man ibn Qawqal. His name has been mentioned in other narrations, a Nu'man ibn Qawqal. Number two, when he says, do you see? Do you see that if I pray my five daily prayers to the end of the hadith, what does this mean? Do you see? Meaning, tell me. Tell me if I do these things, will I enter paradise? If I just... Pray my five daily prayers, fast in the month of Ramadan, declare the halal to be halal, the haram to be haram, and I don't increase upon that in anything, will I enter paradise? And number three, why was there no mentioning of zakah and hajj? Why was there no mentioning of zakah and hajj in this hadith? He mentioned the five daily prayers. He mentioned fasting in the month of Ramadan. And then tahleel of the halal and tahreem of the haram. Down, okay, that's maybe something else. 
Some of the muhaddithun they have mentioned that there is a potential that when this incident occurred, Hajj was not obligated. Hajj was not obligated. Okay, what about zakah? Ah, some of the muhaddithin they mentioned that there is a potential that this particular man was poor. And therefore the Prophet ﷺ didn't mention zakah. And likewise, that it can be inclusive within the statement when the man said, if I declare the halal to be halal and the haram to be haram. Declare the halal to be halal, inclusive of that is the wajibat, the mustahabbat, and the mubahat. The mandatory matters, the supererogatory matters, and the permissible matters. So that's another explanation that scholars give. One, that hajj may not have been obligated. Two, zakah may not have been obligatory upon the person because he was from Ahl zakah anyhow. And number three, that it was inclusive of the statement of making tahleel of the halal and tahreem of the haram. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll complete the hadith next week. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ma'ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.